One good thing is a lot of our customers are willing to provide useful feedback. They're in this product day in, day out, and they really just want to share like their frustrations and also sometimes things that they really like. This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward Silence. Silences. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Matthew Morrison, a senior UX researcher at Braze. Today, we're going to talk about B2B recruiting and the kind of background of that is I know, Matthew, you mentioned when you were trying to do B2B recruiting, you couldn't find a lot of great resources out there. And so you came up with some of your own mm -hmm. and we're going to hopefully help some folks out here. So thanks so much for jumping in to talk about B2B recruiting. Yeah, sure. Happy to be here. Got JH here too. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one since part of what we offer is B2B recruiting at user interviews. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this problem of how we enable it for other researchers. So hoping maybe I can steal some ideas to, to pull into our own product from this one. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, full disclosure, a fun one for me because I used to work at Braze. So it's uh, right. love, love that little Braze yeah, part. Trail Brazer, if people say that. Like you were an early. Sure. Why not? Definitely. Awesome. Well, Matthew, thanks again for joining. Let's just jump right into it. B2B recruiting. So, you know, you mentioned when you were trying to do some B2B recruiting, you were looking for resources, didn't find a ton of information out there, which to me says maybe there were some challenges with B2B recruiting. Mm -hmm. So let's jump into that. What are some of the unique challenges when you're trying to recruit participants for B2B research? Yeah. So just as a little backstory, I started at Braze last year. So I've been there almost a year, but I'm used to doing B2C recruiting, um, but I have done a little B2B in the past, but yeah, lots of interesting challenges behind B2B. I would say the first one, key one is like access. And mm. because you're B2B, your customers have customer success managers, account managers. So there's a little bit of gatekeeping that happens there. It's not necessary to go through them to gain access to customers to talk to. But, you know, for certain types of customers, you know, more sensitive ones, bigger clients, it's a good idea and it's a good idea to keep them in the loop. So that adds a lot of overhead and it kind of varies. Some customer success managers want to be on the call, want to be kept in the loop or just want to be CC'd on an email that you send. Others don't care at all. So hmm. that gatekeeping part is probably one of the more interesting challenges I think people don't often think about. And beyond that, I would say the biggest one is you have a limited pool. So Braze has over a thousand customers and by that, I mean companies worldwide. And that sounds like a lot, but when you really break it down, like you have, we at Braze, we have designers and product managers also conducting their own research. Over time, you, this number dwindles. It isn't so big. We often are, you know, trying to we talk to customers over and over, the sometimes same customers because of that. So, and it also can be difficult if you want to recruit a specific type of customer. So for example, like our platform has a lot of features and quite a few different types of users in it. It's mostly marketers, but we do have developers too. So as an example, if you want to talk to developers who integrate Braze with their company's tech stack, for example. So like when a company buys Braze, they'll have their developers come in and integrate it with the other types of technology they have. The developer number is even smaller. And 
they're even less engaged because they're not active in the platform day to day. So they're even harder to reach and harder to get interest in talking to us and just lack of knowledge about the platform itself. So those are the key ones. And then there's a few others as well. Yeah. And the, on the access piece, like the gatekeeping kind of dynamic, <clears throat> I'm just curious to kind of clarify that a little bit. Is it just like, Hey, it's a new thing. And I want to be aware of who's talking to my clients. Is it, I don't want you showing features we might not build because like, what if they love it? And then, you know, we don't move it forward or, mm -hmm. or like a relationship stuff of like, Hey, they're in the middle of a renewal process. Like it's not a great time to like throw more stuff at them. Like what are like some of the objections or why that gatekeeping thing comes up in the first place? Yeah, I would definitely say the first and the last one you said. So the first one being like, they just want to be in the loop of, Hey, you're talking to our, my customer. I just want to know what you're talking about maybe. And like, just so they, they're aware that this happens so they could document it somewhere, you know, like at, for conversations, like documenting things in Salesforce and earn a CRM of some sort. And then also the latter, like just a relationship thing. Like I have gotten, it's been really important, like where I have gotten, I picked out a certain customer I wanted to talk to. I talked to an account manager and they said, actually it's going through a renewal process right now. Now it's not a good time, which is good to know, but it does add a little bit of that overhead. Mm -hmm. And I imagine the kind of key insight here, right, is this is going to vary from company to company and Definitely. from, you know, from account manager, customer success manager, sales might get involved. Anyone who has a relationship with the customer, that's going to vary. And I'm curious, you know, are, you know, in B2B in general, kind of that ownership of the customer relationship can be very mm -hmm. interesting. And so is that something that's maybe evolved you know, at Braze in your time there, or is it something that you mentioned you've got product managers, designers, lots of people want to be talking to customers, which is great where we come from. You know, that's a wonderful <laughs> thing, mm -hmm. talking to customers, but you also don't want to bombard them or over contact them or create any kind of negative experience for customers. And right. yeah, just curious how you've found ways to, to navigate that. Yeah. So I would definitely say that's something that's evolving at Braze and we're currently working on because yeah, the more people doing research, the more touch points it, it, and if it's not connected in some way, like there's not kind of a centralized way, like how many times we've contacted this person for what, then it gets a little tricky. We're working on it. And like I said, our customer success managers, account managers, they've been nothing but wonderful. And they're always like, yeah, talk to this customer unless there's like a specific reason why they just mm -hmm. want to know. And I would say there's ways that we, you don't always have to contact them. We have different ways that we recruit through Braze. If it's usually like a specific customer you want to talk to, then you should usually loop in, you know, the customer success manager or their primary contact at Braze. If it's something more general that you, your target customer is, you know, you want to talk about Braze at large and you don't really have any, anything specific, it doesn't matter what type of cup you can just kind of send out like a blanket email or what our platform does is send, you know, an in-browser message or an in-app message. And we can mm -hmm. actually do that through our platform and we can recruit customers that way. And they can sign, and if they see a message like that, they can sign up on their own without, you know, the customer success manager needing to approve it first. I actually am doing something like this literally today and recruited some customers that way. And obviously I'll follow up and let them know that they've signed up, let the CSMs, customer success managers know they signed up, but that's one way that you kind of get it. Like the gatekeeping doesn't have to be such a barrier. Mm -hmm. Got it. 
So, in, you know, to just to summarize what we've talked about so far, there's kind of in B2B, uh, everything's relative, but relatively speaking, you've got a smaller pool and mm-hmm. it can be harder to access the pool that you do have. So those are definitely some notable challenges when you're just, you know, trying to find relevant people to talk to. What are some of the other things that make it can make it, you know, more challenging to recruit B2B folks? Sure. So, you know, one is, you know, and this goes for everyone really, but their time is limited. It's valuable. So we've kind of, and I can talk a little bit about the solutions or that we've yeah. worked around this, but, you know, we have more luck recruiting our people, our customers, if we limit a study to say 30 minutes versus an hour. Problem is sometimes you need more than 30 minutes. You need an hour to actually do the full, like whatever your project is. And so that is an issue. And, you know, you kind of have to meet people where they are. And they're working, I don't, do we say nine to five anymore? Nine to six, what, <laughs> more than that. Like they're working long hours. So you have to meet them where they are. So I usually, I set my availability like a little bit earlier in the morning and a little bit later in the evening. So, and again, like just today, I got a bunch of people are signing up for like a 6 p.m. call or maybe a 9 a.m. call to talk to me. And that's great. Like, I feel like that's really important because they don't feel obviously maybe comfortable taking time during their workday to do something like this. So that's one thing we've noted. And I would say another thing, and I think a lot of people might be thinking if they're listening to this is like, what about incentives? Can you offer people incentives? So currently at Braze, we have not offered incentives or gifts uh, to people like as a overall program. And there's a couple of reasons behind that. So like some of our customers won't allow their employees, like our users, to accept gifts or payments from us or from vendors in general. So I think some people have a hesitation about that. In projects where I have offered an incentive, which I'll get to in a moment, like I've had people tell me they can't take the incentive or they don't want that, but they're happy to help, which is always, I mean, that's really nice, but you know, you don't want to scare people away by offering an incentive either. But we're realizing the need like it's really hard to recruit and as many people as we are recruiting, we're starting to roll out a more formalized incentive program. I can talk more about that shortly, but like a little pro tip was your incentive calculator, super helpful on your website (laughs) to help figure out how much and all those things. So. Got it. So time is money. So that's kind of right. Like, yeah, yeah, people don't have time and like, how do you compensate them for the time that they do have where, you know, there can be challenges around Internally, like what is our incentive structure, particularly for B2B, where I, th- I think it's pretty standard to compensate on the B2C side, but on the yes. B2B side, it can be a little bit more interesting. And I, I think the time compromise is really interesting. We were actually talking to someone at NNG the other day, Nielsen Norman Group, you know, was saying if you, as remote becomes more popular and it opens all these opportunities to do research with people all over the world, That's great, but it also can mean, okay, now I, you know, what am I going to do time zone wise to talk (laughs) to folks and kind of making sure like as you're adding uh, flexibility for your participants that you're also not kind of burning the can on both ends yourself to accommodate and, you know, finding a healthy balance there as well. Yeah, definitely. And so when I say like meeting them where they are, we do have customers all around the world. And I, you know, I'm, my calendar is not open 24 seven. If it's, if I'm dealing with like, if I'm trying to get international customers in a specific region, Mm -hmm. I will be mindful of that and like open up my calendar to fit with their times as much as I Mm -hmm. can. But, you know, for like something like this, where 
I'm accepting like global customers. I try to just put like a little bit of, you know, a little earlier, a little bit later to even help out. Like, you know, I'm on the East coast to help out the San Francisco folks and that office out there to get, you know, so they can join in maybe at a six o'clock meeting, but I generally don't go too late, um, unless it's a really important project that I'm trying to get a specific group of people. Yeah. Yeah. To, to go back to the time and money dynamic a little bit, it, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Cause it's like, usually when somebody doesn't have time and you need to talk to them, you offer more money and then, mm -hmm. you know, they perk up and that doesn't really seem like an option here. Is there anything you found in terms of like how you, when you would do the initial outreach and how you kind of explain what you need to do and why it'd be valuable to talk to them that like is a good hook or like pulls people in a way that like, you know, maybe the monetary value can do in like the B2C setting. Have you found other ways to like pitch what you're doing or, or like, you know, pique their interest, so to speak, such that they like do engage and respond to you? Yeah. You know, funnily, I, I can't speak in absolutes. I have, we haven't done any AB testing on our language, which is something we were just <laughs> sure. talking about today. That's something we can do and we should do to see what works better. But we, I mean, there are things that I've tried some along the lines of like your feedback is helpful in improving the platform. You know, you'll see your feedback, like your feedback is taken to heart. And we actually, if it's something, if it's very specific product thing, we will follow up with certain customers about it to show them how like basically their feedback did make a difference. So it, you know, it's, I feel like I'm speaking a little bit in platitudes, but it's just trying to get them to feel connected to this and making it better since a lot of the, the people using our platform are in this, you know, all day long. Like, you know, you want to make the experience better. We want to make the experience better. You want to make it better because it'll just make your day better. So things like that. And I wouldn't discount incentives. I'm not the monetary incentives. I was saying, you know, like some customers won't allow their employees to accept gifts, but you know, I, I think there's more to it than that and incentives do I are definitely help to some degree, especially on like when we're on time crunches. You also mentioned, you know, time being valuable. It can be easier for folks to find a half hour than to find an hour. A couple questions there. One is just sort of uh, in the pandemic setting, and I guess you've been at Braze kind of, unfortunately, the uh, pandemic the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but d does that make it a little bit easier for folks to find a half hour in the middle of the day being remote or or not? And then I guess the yeah. other question I had is, you know, between the half hour, the hour, do you kind of like start out asking for an hour and you're finding that it's hard to find people, then you'll adjust to a half hour or have you proactively updated your time frame to just kind of know like an hour is going to be tough. I'm going to try to design my studies to be more a half hour and get what I need out of them in a shorter time right. period. So to your first question, I since I started Braze remotely and everything's been remote since then, I can't, yeah. I, I don't really have a good comparison. I imagine it's a little bit easier to uh -huh. recruit people than it was in the past, but I, yeah, I Your can't baseline say is, for sure. Yeah. My base, yeah. yeah. So, and then before that, when I was at a different company recruiting, I was, it was B2C. So we were able to get people right. all the time. Right. So I will say into the second point. So I think it was a little bit of a learning curve for me. So mm -hmm. I wanted to fit a lot in. I started with an hour for one study, one of my mate first studies at Braze and mm -hmm. was having a lot of trouble recruiting and mm -hmm. learned from, you know, just people who've been at Braze for a while that they found that the same thing, that you'll get people if you make the study, not quite an hour, 30 minutes, 
maybe 45 an hour just seems overwhelming to people and like, especially in a busy day. So I've since then started proactively trying to design studies that I can try to keep within 30 minutes. And if not, then 45 minutes, um, yeah. 45 minutes I've found is, I, I seem to be able to get away with it, still experimenting with it, but 30 minutes definitely have, uh, proactively done designed a study to kind of fit in that time. And if I need to do more research later, then so be it. One of the other things that comes to mind is, you know, when you're trying to get people to talk to you and spend time with you, you have incentives, but there's also just like, you know, all of the different techniques and approaches you can employ in terms of how you reach out. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if you found anything that works well there. So like, you know, you're keeping the account manager or the customer success person in the loop. Do you ask them to kind of do like a warm intro? Or do you just reach out yourself from your own email? You know, will you send like reminders? Like you, you know, ask somebody on Monday if they'll talk to you and you haven't heard from them on Wednesday, will you follow up? Or does that feel like too pestering? Like any like kind of practical things you do on that side that, that have helped you get a better response rate? Yeah, definitely. I, if a customer success manager, for example, is willing to reach out for me and make that warm intro, it's super helpful. And what I've done uh, is provide a template for them. They're very busy. And they get a lot of requests and you want to take the burden off them as much as possible. So I'll provide like, Hey, would you be mind reaching out? And here's a template, just fill in your name and the customer's name and CC me on it. That has worked much better than if I'm just writing it and CCing them. Although if I, if that is what I need to do, I often say this customer success manager said you would be a great candidate for this. I'm reaching out their CC'd on here and see if you'd be interested in a study. But that warm intro definitely does help in providing a template ahead of time for them to save customer success managers time is super important. So that that's one way. And yes, the follow-up emails, it it's a lot of overhead when you go this way. You know, you it's a whole, you know, reops is a whole field now. Like <laughs> having a coordinator, for example, is would be wonderful because, you know, keeping track of how long was it since I emailed that person? You got to really be on top of that. And I do that as well. Like if I haven't heard, I'll follow up. And I take, I don't put the burden on, you know, a CSM to do that at that point. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research. And we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more. So we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. Got it. Great. So, so we've talked about, you know, some of the challenges and kind of some of the workarounds. Let's dig more into the kind of workaround side. So mm -hmm. I know you've been able to find a lot of ways to make B2B recruiting easier, including using user interviews. So we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, talk to us about how you've made B2B recruiting more successful throughout your time. Yeah. Yeah. So some of these I touched on already, but I'll just go into a little more detail. So one good thing is a lot of our customers are willing to provide useful feedback. And I think, like I said, they're in this product day in, day out, and they really just want to share like their frustrations and, and also sometimes things that they really like. In that sense, 
we do have the, those kind of really engaged customers. And speaking of our engaged customers, we actually have a community. It's called Bonfire. It's a Slack community of Braze customers. And we, you know, someone on the Braze team runs this community and helps foster the community in there, but it's like pretty much like a forum for customers to talk to each other and learn from each other. But also it's, these people are super engaged and it's become in some ways a de facto, I wouldn't call it a panel, but we do use that sometimes to recruit like, Hey, is anyone here working on, I don't know, this particular type of campaign and would be willing to provide feedback on an idea that we're thinking about for improving campaigns, email campaigns. Like just sign up, you know, provide a Calendly link, sign up here. That's been super successful. So that's one. Another one I found is like, we have a lot of customer satisfaction surveys running in our platform for different types of features that we're rolling out to make sure, you know, over time that we're improving the platform and we keep track of those and customers, not it's optional, but customers who provide open-ended feedback in those surveys, I've targeted them in the past, like, oh, they've said something either, you know, about a problem or something that you just wanted to talk about and they just wanted to give feedback. And I feel like if they might be more willing to give that feedback, maybe they'd be willing to chat with me more. So reaching out to them directly has been something I've done. And that's one way of getting more, getting around this recruitment issue. Already talked about meeting customers where they are, like, you know, their hours are different than yours. And Sometimes, and, or even if they aren't, sometimes they don't want to take time in their day, but they're willing to do it at like 530, you know, which isn't so bad. So those are like some of the key ways. And then finally, the, the big one that, you know, when you're really having trouble is recruiting users who are similar, but not your actual customers. So yeah, this is the example that you alluded to, Aaron, like user interviews. And so I can go into detail about that project if you want and, and tell you how that went, if that's okay with you. Yes, we would love to hear you talk about user interviews. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we will, you know, seriously, we would, would love to hear about your process because I think, you know, that really brings kind of recruiting to life in, in terms of how you were able to do that. And I think, you know, we'll get into this more too, but some of the pros and cons of talking to, you know, your like closest customers who are using your product all the time versus, you know, maybe new customers who are customers, but don't do it super well. Versus, you know, maybe like prospects who are interested and know something about you, but versus, right, to your point, like people who look like they could be your customers, they match the general, you know, persona you're looking for, but aren't customers. And all of those have different pros and cons. So we'll get into that. But one of the pros of talking to people who are not your customers is it gets around some of those challenges you mentioned, right, where there are more of them. There are more people right. who look like your customers than your actual customers. Um and, and there aren't the access concerns, right? You can kind of have a little more freedom to use various tools like user interviews and others to, to go find them. So tell us about your process and what worked well, or maybe some challenges you had. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, the big challenge I had was like for a recent research project, what I, we really wanted to target new users to the Braze platform and with the goal of understanding how intuitive is our platform, kind of just kind of benchmarking our usability overall. But as I said, like we have a small pool of customers. So trying to find even newer customers to our platform is harder. And also you don't really want to bombard the new customers immediately right. with research. They're onboarding to our platform and it's a little sensitive of a time. So, you know, having a little, so the 
I had a lot of trouble with this, but it was super important for the study to get this. You don't want it to get people who are experienced and, you know, are able to just quickly find what they know how to do because of muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So I ended up recruiting lookalike, I don't know a better way to say it, lookalike Braze customers. And in this example, it was marketers who are familiar with lifecycle marketing and some other tools that you can use for lifecycle marketing, like some of our competitors maybe, but that were unfamiliar with Braze as a platform. Mm -hmm. And so we use that as a proxy for new Braze customers. Mm -hmm. So maybe they've used or have used one of our competitors' tools. Maybe they've heard of Braze, but they've never actually used it. So I went about this, the longest, you know, what took the longest was trying to figure out the screener for this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How do you find these people? Yeah. So I asked a few articulation questions to truly see if they fit our recruitment profile. Some questions along the lines of like, just think, trying to think back now since it's been a while, <laughs> but like what's describe a typical day at your job. Right. right so right. like, what is your typical day at your job? Also, what's your job title and responsibilities? Because there's the field of life cycle marketing is, or growth marketing is, I'm not one, so I don't want to like misspeak, but it feels fairly new. So there's a lot of different titles out there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to mm -hmm. give a long list of titles. I wanted to see what people would, you know, what are people calling themselves? Right. And then asking some questions about what platforms they use or currently use, like I said, and they could have selected any, like some of our competitors, I threw in some competitors, I threw in some that aren't competitors just to kind of throw people off uh, the track <laughs> to make sure they don't, you know, like they're not just trying to fit in the system. And mm -hmm. one thing I actually did too, and this was kind of fun is, you know, all these platforms have such interesting names, you know, mm -hmm. like MailChimp, for example. So I just made up a random name and put it like a made up a random platform. And so if they had selected that, they would automatically be rejected from the study. That, or if sounds, they like a, that sounds like a fun SaaS like yeah, what was the name? party game. Yeah. Like, yeah. Make up a new SaaS app, which one's real? <laughs> yeah, the name yeah. I came up with, I literally just, no reason, Rhymer, I just wrote Blimmy. Which oh, sure, yeah. Sounds like that could be real. Something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like, yeah. you know, did you put the vowels in it or did you? No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> no. Not 2004, Jage. Blimmy.io or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Legit. <laughs> so that was one way. And if they also, if they had used Braze, I would reject them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, mm -hmm. we had pretty amazing results. You could put them in another yeah. panel, those Braze folks. You need those. Yeah, totally. I know. It's like, <laughs> Save oh, them for later. Yeah. they don't use Braze anymore, but they are using mm -hmm. them now or mm -hmm. either or. Totally. But this was great. Like we got the uh, turnaround time was like less than 24 hours and we were able to set up research sessions with everyone that fit our criteria within a week. And we got some really valuable feedback that we wouldn't have gotten had we just relied on our customers alone. So mm -hmm. this is something we're trying to roll out more broadly because I think you get a lot of internal bias, always just talking to your customers. So being able to talk to people outside, whether they're prospects or whether they're not prospects, they're just using another platform and they're in this role of a marketer. It's yeah. a, yeah. It's something they don't know their prospects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone is a prospect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about how you think now that you have all these different tools, these different ways of finding who you want to talk to. When you're designing a study, and I'd love to learn more about the kinds of research you're doing in terms of, you know, do you have ongoing studies or is it all kind of project and ad hoc based? But depending on what kind of study you're doing, do you have a framework for 
I'm going to use these tools to recruit for this, or these are the kinds of people I want to talk to. And therefore I'm going to, you know, go through a CSM or I'm going to use a Braze, you know, in-app intercept, or I'm going to try user interviews. Do you have a kind of sense of how all these different recruiting toolkits can fit together, depending on what you're trying to learn and who you're trying to learn it from? Yeah. So we're developing it and we're in the process. So it right now, there's only two researchers at Braze, me and one other, Sophia, she's wonderful. So we're working together on this and trying to grow the research team and grow our practice in, and like coming up with good processes. So this is a little bit of a work in progress, but yeah. general rule is, you know, if it's something that's like, you don't have to be too specific about in an app, you know, an intercept, like you said, in that message mm -hmm. is, can be a way to go. If it's something that you need a little more, you need to talk to more specific users, that is where, you know, you kind of need to dig around in one of our tools to find the customers that are using the feature that you need to, that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And then you may have to go through your success managers mm -hmm. to contact them directly. That's probably one of the harder ones. And do you yeah. work with a, like a BI or data team to kind of find yeah. those folks or? Yeah, yeah, we do. And we have, it's pretty self-service on our part too. Like, you know, tr it, they've made it, they built ways for us to easily look up these things on our own so we can kind of find the customers. But if we need help, yeah, we have a, you know, whole BI team that is super helpful there. A question I had just from the earlier thing of like, you know, trying to find not actual users to talk to and using our platform to do so. It made me kind of wonder if you've ever tried to split the difference of like going to the sales team, and be like, hey, who are some of the prospects that we lost? <laughs> you know what I mean? And could I try to reach out to them? They, I don't know what kind of response rate you'd get. I don't know if it'd be good because they want to tell you all the things that, you know, they needed that you didn't have or if they're just going to ignore you because they went with a different solution. But have you ever tried to like play in that category at all? Not, I have not yet. That is something I think might, be specific to any project we might work on. I would imagine, and I can't say for sure, but I imagine like our sales team for people that they've lost deals to probably does do some sort of survey to find out why <laughs> already. Mm -hmm. So unless there's a specific reason, I haven't done that so far. Yeah. But if there were a reason to, based on a research project, definitely would be a possibility. Yeah. yeah. To sense. JH's point too, I wonder about, you know, the kind of hybrid project where you talked about this a little bit with, with using user interviews where basically you can't, it's hard to find the people. Like you would gladly talk to your own customers if they met the criteria you were looking for and you could find them. But if you can't, then you kind of expand, right? And, and yes. use some other tactics. I think that happens a lot. It's my sense. I don't know how to quantify it, but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That in, in that particular case with the project, that definitely was the case. Like yeah. I, you know, was using, I had some new users to braise, but. I paired them with customers who were not new users, but non-users, but, you know, kind of a hybrid mishmash that way. But they generally, they looked very much alike, you know, especially with the goal of the project, which was, you know, measuring usability, intuitiveness of our platform overall. Yeah. Another question that's coming to mind as we're kind of getting into the details here is when you are reaching out to your own users, so you work with BI and analysts to pull it, you get the sign off from account managers. Are you just like going straight to scheduling with that group? Cause it's a limited pool and you know that they're going to be a pretty good fit. Or are you still actually having like a screening step where you're collecting some information from them and, and winnowing it down further from there? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I think some people do it depending, do it differently. Uh, like some project managers or excuse me, product managers and designers have done screeners before just to make sure that they're getting at the right customers. I generally 
to avoid more friction, like what I've done is actually allowed people to sign up using Calendly and asking questions in Calendly to see if they fit the criteria I'm looking for. I wish Calendly had like a screener survey built into that automatically, but mm -hmm. so far for me, I've like looked through that and try to target from the get-go on mm -hmm. the types of customers I want. So I don't have to add an unnecessary step of screening them out, but right. we have done that. Other people have done that. And yeah, if there, I would love for it, there to be an easier way. So there's not a screener that populates to Calendly, you know, so it's mm -hmm. less friction. So to answer your question, typically I go straight to the scheduling and try to target ahead of time as much as possible. So I know you have experience B2B, then B2C, then back to B2B, so, you know, across the B's and the C's. Yeah. But what are some of, we've talked about this a little bit just by virtue of talking about B2B specifically, but some of the main differences in recruiting that you've, that you've noted. Yeah, I would say recruiting in general, it's more difficult in B2B and B2C, more things to think about, I guess. And, and just because it's a numbers game, just because there's more, you know, users out there in B2C than there are for B2B. And so all the things I talked about of ways to get around are the reasons why it's more complicated. And I would say in B2B compared to B2C, it's easier to let bias creep into your recruiting. So we touched on some of this, like over contacting participants, reaching out to the same ones over and over for different studies. So they become like professional testers. They're more likely, possibly more likely to give you, start saying things you want to hear. So over contacting them, using the same participants over and over, those are probably like the things that are easier to happen with B2B. I think it's B2C, you can, because you have that numbers, you can put more guardrails around that of mm -hmm. like, you have this group of customers, once they've been contacted, don't contact again for another six months. Mm -hmm. We could do that in our B2B platform, but with the amount of research that we're doing, I. Mm -hmm we quickly would run out of right, people, I think. Right. So how do you think about getting the right balance for the like following up with the same people, right? Because it, it actually feels like a tough problem of, I found somebody that does this behavior or uses the product in a way that's relevant to what I'm trying to learn. They're really articulate. They're interested. They're willing to talk to me. Like they're checking all these boxes. You probably have a session with them that's great and informative and you get all these interesting takeaways. Like, how do you know when it's okay to follow back up with that person? Like what, how do you have any rules of thumb or, you know, is it just a time thing? Is it a, what you're trying to learn thing? How do you get that right? Yeah, I think it's what I, I would say more what you're trying to learn than a time thing. You know, if you're trying to do something that's a participatory design project where you're building a feature and it might make sense to have someone who is giving like the same person, giving you feedback round after round. In some cases, they're kind of co-creating this with you. And not just one person, but a multiple group, as long as you're kind of also hearing from others. So it's not just a singular voice. I think that's fine. And I, so I think there's pros and cons to both and I'm a fan of both. So in that example, and you know, time too. the super engaged people are easier to recruit and our product Braze, it does require some experience to use. So there are some people who are really good at using our platform and know everything about it. So they're good people to tap into and get feedback. And I was talking about bias before of maybe over contacting the same people and they're more likely to say what you uh, want to hear. But I haven't found that so far at Braze, I think <laughs> our 
customers, if they have an issue, they're going to let us know. If they like something, they're going to let us know. But if they have an issue, they're going to they're going to let us know. So yeah. I think it's fine. I do think, you know, the con of that talking to the same people over and over is the possibility of confirmation bias creeps in. And so the pros of having new voices, you know, in your in your projects, I think that's most likely obvious to researchers, you know, removing that bias and making sure you have a, you know, healthy mix of people that are telling you not just what you want to hear. So, so that's kind of a, a non-answer. I think there's pros and it's not an either or to me. I think there's pros and cons to both. I'm a fan of both and really depends on the type of project that you're working on too. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And I think too, I mean, the, do you have a customer advisory board? I know you mentioned the bonfires. That's like, those are different things or we have a bonfire that's our community. And so I would say that is Got it. kind of, you know, our de facto one. Yeah. Um, so so whether yeah. through that community or just from people who you kind of informally end up talking to on a repeat basis, to your point, you know, bias can, if that was all you were doing, that would probably not be yes. ideal. But on the marketing side, you know, those people who stick with you and are invested in the platform and your success and are going to give you you know, good, honest feedback. I mean, that's so invaluable in terms of just building advocacy and word of mouth. And as long as the folks in that kind of circle remain, you know, your ideal customer and the people that you want to get more customers that look like them, right? As long as that audience is kind of maturing with the the platform, there's so many benefits there in addition. So it's like everything in research, right? You need yeah. a balance, you need a hedge portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And yeah, we have other ways that people input, you know, information. If people have feature requests, you know, we have a way for people to do that and those get prioritized and we might reach out to customers based on the number of feature requests we hear about. So that's another way we gather information. That's just kind of an, as an aside, but to your mm -hmm. point, yeah, it's all about. I'm just curious, you've been, you know, you've been doing this for about a year now. You're, you know, we're going into 2022, so you're looking probably ahead and doing some planning. Anything that you're going to try to change or explore or try some new things uh, when it comes to B2B recruiting and going forward? Yeah, well, we'll see where the world is, but <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want to put a few more processes in place and along with my uh, colleagues and just to make it so it's not just like we're only talking to the same users repeatedly that we know it should be a balance. So a few more processes in place on this and maybe some sort of processes about like which customers when have they been contacted last? Maybe we don't set a time limit necessarily on not contacting them again for another six months just for sheer number reasons, but maybe we know when they were contacted last and or when they were interviewed last and to make sure that we keep that in mind. So, and this is not just research. This is kind of a group thing like that will involve like our success team and everyone just to centralize that information. So we're not over-communicating with our customers. So that's mm -hmm. one thing I want to do, just more operational. Another thing I'd love to do, and again, this just is depending on what the world looks like, but I would, you know, I think a lot of researchers probably would love to do this, but like more, you know, in-person research, little mm -hmm. observational research, we'll see how that goes. So that's one thing I'd love to do is I think getting certain people who that are harder to reach, like the developers, for example, would love to be able to like shadow developers as they're onboarding uh, to Braze and integrating with Braze and learning about that like in real time rather, you know, 
I think one of the things with remote is we've often just been relying a lot of times on, you know, interviews or concept testing and observational research. You can have diary studies, obviously, but I would love to just be able to observe in real time again. So that's something I'd look forward to, but you know, we'll see where the world goes, everything. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. What final parting thoughts? Yeah, I think I would love, you know, hopefully this is useful for people who are thinking about going to maybe a SaaS company or your, you know, the researchers who are going to be working in B2B and that this is useful or for people currently working and to see if this resonates with them. And maybe also I'd love to hear from people who you're like, no, what about this? And stuff I didn't think about. So, cause it's definitely not things I thought about when I joined, uh, B2B. So yeah. definitely, and it's fun and it's challenging and it can, I, I think it's worthwhile. So hopefully this is a useful thing for people. Yeah. Thanks Matt. I'm, I'm sure that it will be. And to your point about, you know, other tips and things people have tried, are you active on LinkedIn or Twitter or anywhere else we could kind of keep the dialogue going? Yeah. LinkedIn mostly. All um, right. So, so you can find Matt there and we'll post this up there and see what other tips folks have. Cool. That awesome. sounds great. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd. <laughs>